All right, Than from Table Gardens, join us again, sharing all his wisdom. And today it is things that the hobby thinks are true, but in practice are not. So you might think this is real, but it just isn't. Starting with the first one here, which is uh, you are good at reefing because you've never had a problem. Not true. Yeah. And th this is kind of a sentiment that, that uh, you see online a lot and makes people not want to post any kind of weakness or any kind of like problem that they've ever had because of how it reflects on them. Because the alternative is because somebody's never had that problem before, they're better than you somehow, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So there is that sentiment of, you know, I've never You're had a failure. You're a failure, and because I've never had an hair algae outbreak, I'm so good at this hobby. Mm -hmm. Or I've, I've never had a tank crash. Like that, that type of thing where it's like, oh, since I've never had a tank crash, I must be doing everything so much better than all the folks out there that have had tank crashes. Bold statement, I might add, right? Because the people that have been in this forever have experienced so many of these problems and I think that like those people are the ones that you almost want to seek out for advice because they're the ones that have battled. They've, they've, they've gone through the wars. Mm -hmm. They've seen like the worst things imaginable happen to their aquarium and this is how they got out of it. And so when you run into the same problems, they're the ones that have the answer for you. Not the person that just kind of sits back and says, sorry, get good and, and leave it at that. You know, I'd never heard it put this way until you said it, you know, but it is like the right way. Because like, think about the average person. Like if I were gonna boil it down to, who do you think, you know, is the best reefer or the best source of information? Because what we're really talking about is who do I listen to kind of here. And so if I think about the best source of information, is it the person that, hey, I applied this thing and I never had these problems. Uh, and if you apply this thing, maybe you will never have these problems, right? I, if you add the I'm better than you, then I don't want to listen to you at all. Like, I, right. it, for me to want to listen to information, you have to be a decent person uh, in the end, right? And if you're like that obnoxious about it, I don't, don't want to listen. But then there's another person that comes along. And this other person says, uh, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, the way you beat that problem is this. And the reason that I say that is because I ran into this problem this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, and that way. And what I found is when I take the knowledge from that and I apply it, uh, I do it this way now, and I never run into those problems anymore. Right, it's because I understand the root of that problem and I fixed that. Mm -hmm. But to, to say that or to literally have never experienced that problem before, that's what well, one day you might run into that exact problem and suddenly are you now a bad hobbyist? Like, no. So again, I, I, I gravitate to those, to the people that have been in the hobby forever that have seen everything because we're gonna, we're gonna have the most substantive discussion on, on the current problems that I have because my problems are gonna be pretty exotic and not everybody can ha I can have that discussion with because there's only so many people that have seen some of these things. So this is the piece, it's, it's gonna be really hard and I don't know if it's even possible, but if we could embrace and nurture 
and reward the people that come out and say, I screwed up and this is what I learned. That man is where the knowledge comes from. It isn't from I've never ever screwed up and uh, like uh, I'm perfect. Yeah, but there's, there's a, there is a pressure, especially with, with uh, social media now, to have this air of perfection. Like It's hard, I have it. It's really hard for me. Because you, know? you, you get like a, a, a lot of undue backlash out of nowhere. And but so I think that there is like, yeah, again, that there's that sense that you want to always you know, put your best foot forward. But it, it's getting to the point where it's a little unrealistic. Dude, it's, it's hard. Like, so, for instance, you struggled 360, right? Home my tanks. It's supposed to be awesome. There's not a single part of me, not a, even the littlest bit that wants to come out and tell you, man, how hard this was for me, you know, like and tell you about the points and show it to you how ugly it was at different points. But it was part of learning and I had to do it anyway. Like it was how, man, we do it. But like we're human. I don't want to go on social media and say I screwed up. Mm -hmm. and especially if you don't really know exactly what caused it. And, and for you and I, it's like it's not just our personal failure. It's like we're tied to a brand. Mm -hmm. It's like it's even worse. And like in a world where it kind of feels like you're only as good as the last thing you did. Yeah. You know? And so like, no, man, you could have been killing it for 20 years, but uh, you screwed up that tank, you're done. Get here, I'll Yeah. yeah. Okay. Worthless. Okay, and then you, this came up in a current or video uh, uh, before that you did that video showing that hair algae disaster in one of your tanks, mm -hmm. right? It was a brand new tank. It was just covered, man. And, and the reason why I was so comfortable putting that out there was because I knew I was going to beat it. Yes. And I was going to, and it's like, I, this is going to be fine, but I need to, I need to show you where the tank started to show you where the tank is going and, and eventually where it is now. And there are going to be some ups and downs. This is clearly like the worst it's ever going to look. But in the, in the first thing I said in that video, it's like, number one, don't panic. Mm -hmm. This is going to be fine. I got to tell you, I, I, I don't know if I said it this way to you before, but at that moment in time, you were a personal inspiration to me, right? To like, oh, wow. it's the, when it's hard is when it's the most important to share the information, right? And you were proud and you knew when you get to the other side, but still you're showing the ugly and you're showing it's real, it happened to you, it can happen to you, and it doesn't make you good or bad, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, uh, okay, just to reiterate, you're, good at reefing, not because you've never had the problem. It's not true. It's because you've had most of them and you understand the ins and outs of them and you know how to avoid them in the future. The next one is quarantine coral is a magic solution. So quarantine is the right thing to do, right? And it's a magic solution. It's not. It is a tool, a very helpful tool. But if the expectation is that you're going to do this thing and you're going to slap it down like a Yu-Gi-Oh card and it's going to solve all your problems, that's not how this works at all. The sort of things that we're trying to quarantine for are so good at what they do, there's a very high likelihood that they're gonna beat yours and anyone else's quarantine procedures. They're really good at what they do. But what quarantine does give you an opportunity to do is to deal with a lot of these, first observe, treat, and then if something is happening, you can deal with it in a quarantine system or restart quarantine rather than having it fully explode in your display tank or worse yet, in an entire facility. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
And in, I guess in that sense, we do treat facility-wide. But everything that we, we bring in, we want to have a first crack at it. And, and I realize that like less than 1% of everybody out there even quarantines to begin with. And I think that might be the sentiment in the community though. It's like, cause they think that, because they've never done it, that, oh, because quarantine out there exists and you didn't do it, that's why you had this issue. Mm-hmm. But realistically, you're gonna have all of these issues whether you quarantine or not, because it is not a foolproof fail-safe thing. And I, I had a conversation with somebody and they wanted to set up a system to quarantine everything to the point that they were able to eliminate any bacterial issue or algal issue in addition to any kind of coral pest. And I'm like, bro, go for it. I love the energy. Let me know if you need any help. But in my heart of hearts, I know that none of that's possible. You can reduce the number of problems you will deal with, but you will never reduce, you will never eliminate all the problems. Right. You yeah. better be ready to do battle down the road. But it is a wonderful tool at the initial stages. You know what comes to mind for me? It's like the, the pendulum. You know, it just happens. It's like nobody quarantines. We all get the pests. We all get the pests. Well, now you need to quarantine. But nobody wants to quarantine. We get all the pests. It's just like a little pendulum. Okay. I've recently kind of had the epiphany that, you know what? Dude, you know why I have acarine flamborgs in my tank? It's because they exist in the wild. You know why I have aptasia? Because they exist in the wild. Uh, you know why I have brapsis, uh, all these other different things, man? It's because they exist in the wild, right? Uh, you know the reason why, you know, a lot of people like are problems for them? Is because they do the same thing in the wild. There are fish that eat these flatworms. There right. are, you know, like uh, copepods that eat the diatoms. You know? Yeah, I, I was like, they're just thinking in, in your in your phrasing of that. It's like, yes, these things exist in the wild, but they're not a problem in the wild because of X, Y, and Z reasons. But in our tanks, they love our tanks, and they're going unchecked, basically. Because we're missing the predator, yeah. right? So it's like... When we plop the uh, lionfish in Florida, there's no predator for it, so it just took off. It's mm-hmm. kind of like our tanks. So what if instead, you know, for the future, what we did is say, hey, I embrace that all of these things are likely to make it in the tank. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't quarantine, because you can quarantine, you could reduce them. But the mm-hmm. uh, idea that you're going to avoid all of them is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. Yeah, like, like a, a complete exclusion of an organism like that is... I guess it's not impossible, but I've never seen it. Like, it's really, really hard. Oh, man, you know what it is? I feel like what we're doing here is like that game of splitting hairs to the point of could anything be possible? The answer is yes, of course, right? Is it realistic or likely for the 98%? No way. Yeah. I mean, it's- so. If you're answering that question, it's like, like we're just we're lawyering the answer to like, right. yeah, I guess two people, man, that were just total Nazis about this could pull it off. But but, you, but you're talking about like microbial stuff, and it's like your 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 fish tank isn't in a clean room. I mean, like these yeah. <laughs> things happen. So yeah, yeah, you know, like in in like with with uh, you know fish parasites, it's a lot easier because there's a lot of treatments that work really well for them, and the life cycles of these things are really well understood. Mm-hmm. But like for parasites on a coral, like 
the eggs are super duper hard to deal with. This mm -hmm. the eggs nature is it's designed to be invincible. Hard to yeah. yeah, nothing messes with eggs. And it's the whole process is only really as good as your ability to spot one. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one egg or one thing, man, to see it, and you missed it, and whatever. Off to the races. Yeah, like so, my first tank, I never had aptasia. Right, mm -hmm. and I never put any coral in this thing, you know. I, I, like after a certain point, like it was just its tank, you know, mm -hmm. it was up and it was doing well. And then, like two years later, like, Aptasia exploded in the tank, you know, just like exploded. You know, there was one somewhere in there that I just didn't see, and that can easily happen in your coral quarantine thing. Mm -hmm. So, like, note the difference in the conversation here of fish quarantine, possible, hard, coral quarantine, like, oh man. Yeah. really hard. but at the same time it's like do i say then like oh it's uh, just doom and gloom quarantine is you no quarantine is really good but the expectations have to be in line yeah so that's kind of like that the off and on again like when you say hey there's challenges with quarantine like some people are hearing like oh how come you don't like quarantine it's like not that it's have realistic expectations for the efforts here. because if, if you're able to avoid like one or two problems in your entire career as a hobbyist the quarantine was worth it. Mm -hmm. Like one or two problems is very, very, very serious. And if you're in, in quarantine can help you dodge some of these things. So I would say for the most part, the person that's going to quarantine the coral is only going to be effective if you've encountered this problem before because you need to know the, all the signs of what to look for, mm -hmm. right? You need to know what a acaricum flatworm bite looks like, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I need to be able to spot all of this stuff. And the only reason I can spot it is because I've been down this road. Yeah. And, and, and now I'm emboldened to take the steps necessary to try to exclude this from the system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in any case, I don't want to say don't do that, but like what I really think is if we fast forward 10 years from now, if we, our primary focus was for the next 10 years, not to avoid the introduction of the things that are, are in the ocean are gonna make the way into their tank. It's the 10 year focus should be, how do we add the predators to our tank so that none of those things matter, right? And I think that, that blends into the next topic where we're talking about, what does it really say there? Uh, fishless systems are good for coral farming. Some people actually attempt to think that without fish, the farm's better. I don't know a single person that does this in application. We, we get this question about once a month. Um, somebody is looking for uh, a system that has no fish in it to buy corals from uh, because they're worried about uh, introducing fish pathogens on corals that they purchased. Yep. And so they're looking for fishless system farming. And I can pretty much tell you that's not a thing. They that does get, not exist. It would be very difficult for those farms to not get overrun with algae. Right. I mean, I, I, I've kept fishless systems before as a hobbyist, but the the benefit of fish is so insanely good. Like the, it's they do so much good work that um, the, the the fear of, of fish pathogens does not make the list like it does simply does not make the cut it's never in, in my in my mental space because the, the the fish do so much work they're like the unsung employees of these reef systems so i actually talked to victor about that worldwide at one point in time i was like dude i think it might be marketable if you created an off-site facility that grew coral with no fish in it 
mm-hmm. like that you could market these things as you know parasite free because that's the missing link for me is I can quarantine the fish for sure, uh, like I know the cycle, I know all the stuff, but I'm not gonna like you know follow or like not follow like I'm not gonna quarantine the coral each one of them for whatever life cycle of ick is and stuff. Man, every last frag that ever goes in there every single time and never cross contaminate. Like I'm just I'm not gonna do it. That's just no way. Uh, but would I buy my corals from a place that has no fish on the, in, in the facility? Well, barring the, the hassle that you might have to do that, if you market it that way, I might. That might be valuable to me. Interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because then I just know that all of these corals that are coming in here will never have that problem because there's no fish in this facility, not even on site. Okay. But the reality of implementing a system like that. Those corals might suck. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah. I don't know. But because even in, you know, a lot of the systems that like at World Life, like they're like, they rely on the fish poop as organics. You know, now you're going to have yeah. to like feed these other there, things. There's a coral nutrition aspect to it. There's an algae control aspect to it. There's a pest control aspect to it. I mean, there's like all these like different layers that you've you've exchanged the chance of getting ick on a coral. By the way, that that the risk of that is low, I would probably assume, but the risk of getting like problematic algae, problematic everything else, aptasia, whatever your your dream scenario of pests that are not being checked because you have no fish. Um, all of that's highly likely now. Like all of that's probably going to happen. The you know the reason because as we get stuck in the lawyered component of this, like if you know look in the quarantine world, if you don't implement quarantine perfectly, you might as well not done it at all, which is garbage. It's not true. Mm, no, you know, not, yeah. so you can implement the quarantine perfectly, you know, for the fish, and then the chances that your acrofrag has ick on it are not all that high, you know. Now, like, if it's a type of coral that fish actually, like, kind of sleep in or nest in, well, maybe not a little bit higher, right? And if, is it one that has a lot of dead tissue on it where they're doing that mm-hmm. versus live tissue? Maybe. But, like, this is such lower risk than putting the fish, which is the host, in the tank. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, they're a totally different scale. Yeah. So yeah, not uh, like fishless systems, not really a thing. Mm, yeah. Okay, next one is replicating the ocean is the best path. It's really not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, a, a lot of arguments online end with, well, this is what happens in the ocean. Like mm-hmm. the, as if like the, the ocean is the final arbiter. Uh, no, guys, uh, our, our systems are so different than the ocean. Uh, like uh, case in point, um, I love clams. I can't keep clams alive in my systems. The way that we do maintenance and stuff doesn't lend itself well to keeping clams alive. When I was on vacation in Japan, there was like a place where we went to where there's all these like uh, these maximum crocea clams everywhere, and they burrow into the rock, and then all you see is like their 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 mantles and stuff like that. Very very cool, right? Low tide comes. And all these clams are exposed. And I, I think I told you about anemones before, same mm-hmm. place. Uh, so all these clams are exposed to open air. They're not closing. They're just white, like mantles open in, in, in air. Then guys, it starts raining. 
And it doesn't, it's like torrential downpour, not like, oh, it's a drizzle. I mean, it's like a driving tropical storm. And all these clams are getting like blasted fresh water, with yes. fresh water, okay? <laughs> They're still not closing. They're fine. And, and they, they get rained on until the tide comes back in. And, the, and this is just this is just four o'clock for them. That's just what they just do. Four. <laughs> yeah, in my tank, I look at them wrong. Uh, uh-uh, they're they're dead, like instantly dead. So like, a, a lo- there's a lot of uh, of things that you see in, in the wild that are not replicable in in captivity, and just have it's, it doesn't translate. Like the, the the amount of flow that is in and around coral colonies, in uh, in, in coral reefs sometimes is beyond bonkers like i've been diving before where i got caught in a current and i felt like i got flushed down a toilet like it's just bye just mm-hmm. gone and you, that's not something you can do in your home aquarium mm-hmm. i actually saw a video from la to show me of uh the uh a bunch of achilles tanks eating off and near there's uh the rock work and stuff it was the exact same thing it was like you could watch them just get flushed away I mean, the current came in, grabbed him, and just shot him away, man. And he's like, this is where they want to live. This mm-hmm. is the environment. They like that level of turbulence. You know? Yeah. And, but, like, you, they literally went into oblivion, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, wow, man. Hey. Yeah, that, that's totally a thing, it's especially in, 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 like, Okinawa, where it's like, there's places where it's basically an underwater river that you're swimming mm-hmm. against. So the one piece that I don't know the answer to exactly yet, but you know, we'll basically have beliefs about it in the end, is in the ocean, corals get their nitrogen and phosphorus from prey, bacteria, uh, organics in the water, you know, like all kinds of things around them. It's not nitrate and phosphate. In the aquarium, they often absorb the nitrate and phosphate through their tissue because of the high levels of that and the low like amount of prey, you know? and I don't think we still know what is the right option, but that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Okay, like, and if we're not going to provide the nitrate and phosphate, then we have to provide the organic material for it to be able to capture that stuff like it would in the wild. But it's hard to do that without polluting the tank. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, we, we have to look at our, our aquariums as its own thing entirely. It's an artificial ecosphere that there are some core principles of what this animal needs to live and think about it that way. And then you can design your own system to create that. But like the ocean isn't necessarily the right one. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, like for instance, in the ocean, man, you're going to get full spectrum light. We would never use that in an aquarium because it looks terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, the yellow, everything would look brown, you know? Well, uh, uh, you're just not, most people are just not going to do that. And you can be phenomenally successful without, and in fact, I've heard theories that some of the reasons why the corals color up and create all those fluorescent proteins is because that when we don't provide the adequate amounts of green, yellow, and orange, mm-hmm. that the coral actually creates fluorescent proteins to turn the blue into green, orange, yellow, hmm, to provide its own source of light, 
right? So I heard this from a marine biologist, and then I went and did a little research, and there's like connecting information on this, that there's hmm. a chain of fluorescence that it's actually creating to fill in the spectrum. So now, like, in fact, if you're thinking about the ocean, if you look at the ocean, I mean, the cores are all brown. It's like mm -hmm. largely yeah. pretty dull. Yeah. I'm not trying to recreate that. You know, the, the ocean has a lot of cyano. <laughs> it's, got, it's, 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 got, it's got its own algae issues sometimes in the reef. Yeah, and like, so, you know, are you trying to create, like, for instance, you know, a healthy ocean would be covered and not covered and coated in algae, but there's lots of algae to feed all the tanks and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Uh, so think about the animal and what it needs to survive, not necessarily what exists in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I dipped it, therefore I don't have pests. <laughs> yeah, I guess this goes back to the to, to the quarantine example. But uh, so I, I'm I'm of the opinion that the vast majority of people don't quarantine, but most of them probably do try to dip. I bet you more than half don't dip. Okay, uh, fair. <laughs> uh, but even when you do dip, uh, dips are only so effective. And they, they can catch a lot of things, but boy, a lot of things survive dips. Mm -hmm. And if you're dipping in, in like the wrong thing entirely, let's say you're, you're dipping in like a, like a pine oil-based product, like a Coral RX or a Revive, um, so some things completely ignore that, but it, it, you might have caught it had you used like a potassium salt-based dip, like uh, uh, like the polyp lab one or or whatever is like the the potassium salt thing. Yeah, so it might have been caught had you done that, but there, there's like uh, there's a huge sentiment out there that like you know what I dipped this and stuff made it through. Like shocker, a lot of stuff makes it through dips. Mm -hmm. Well, so and what I'm thinking about nowadays is like, I think there is not just room, but a necessity to evolve the dip conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like this blanket dip, like I'm, you know, using Coral or X, you know, like tea tree oil or whatever that is. And basically what you're doing is just irritating whatever it's off and hopefully it falls off, right? Mm -hmm. No, it's like not really killing outright anything, maybe some things, but maybe some things. Okay. But then like, you know, basically that's just an irritant, hope that I get some stuff off, right? Then there are like uh, antibiotic dips, you mm -hmm. know? So like, could I, you know, dip it to proactively fight off brown jelly and stuff like that, you know, in your euphilia, or even we've talked about it with uh, uh, anemones as well, you know? So then there is uh, a man, LPS and especially zoanthids are well, well, well known for coming in with all kinds of funky LGs on them. Right. And they also happen to tolerate peroxide dips really, really, really well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so uh, I dip it for two two minutes and then the zoanthids, all the algae are gone. You mm -hmm. know, tomorrow, like that frag plug will look like brand new and the coral will look awesome. Hmm. Right. OK, so now my peroxide dip, you know, I'm treating dipping for algae. You know, it's like, what am I dipping for with fresh water? What am I dipping for with uh, iodine? You know, like. And each one of these corals kind of has like a more likely pest on it than others, mm -hmm. you know? So how do I match the dipping, you know, to the desire and then also the tolerance? Right, because certain so, things you do definitely do not want a freshwater dip. Yeah, I totally meant it. Like the peroxide dip is essentially a freshwater dip. 
Mm. It's freshwater filled with oxidants. It's harsh. Mm -hmm. you know, some things do just fine. Uh, Acans or microlords do really, really well in it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's another one that those frag plugs usually always have garbage on them. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, if you can do those things, you know, in fact, the ones off, off hand, we did an experiment on it. It was the euphilias, uh, and I want to correctly call the uh, the hammers and stuff. What is it? Fimbriophilia. Fimbriophilia. Uh, the uh, Duncans, the uh, micro lords, the uh, gosh, man, there was a whole bunch of men we fresh or we. I can't even think of one that didn't make it through the peroxide dip offhand. You know, I didn't do like uh, acros or anything in it. Uh huh. Uh, and like we did it in like quarter strength, half strength, and full strength. That, that's wild that it's basically like you were doing it in peroxide and fresh water. Because we've always done it with peroxide and salt water. But Well, so how would you do, so then you have to dilute the, the peroxide, right? Yeah. So I'm doing full strength peroxide. Huh. And so you could make so it. So this out. is so interesting, yeah. Yeah, and so like... For me, this is an area now, like the peroxide's super effective. Cause if we looked at it in a microscope, I, I sucked off some of the pests and stuff. And you could literally watch the worms and stuff dissolve mm -hmm. in seconds. You know, it's, the peroxide's so effective. Okay, so it's not just irritating them now. These things are dead, right? It's not killing the eggs, sadly. Uh, but like, here's the thing, man. That, so what we're missing now, and what I really would like to do, I just gotta find the time to do it, is that BRS TV investigates where we literally go through like every popular coral known to man, you know, dip three of them in this thing, you know, put them in the tank and see what survives, mm -hmm. you know, because anything that survives the, and when I say survives, not just like holds on, but like looks just fine tomorrow after it, I would peroxide dip all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's great for pests. It's great for algae. Yeah. It's peroxide for is very, very strong. Super aggressive. Yeah. Uh, but if the animal does fine through it, and this is another one of those things. We test. We test again. You test. You find the same things. Share it with us. We all learn something new. Mm -hmm. You know, that is how it's supposed to go. Peer-reviewed science. Right. We're all peers. Right. Okay. So uh, for me, the dip for I don't have pests, yeah, I agree whole, wholeheartedly. Doesn't work, especially because of the eggs. But like the Coral RX, get some things, but be pretty damn reasonable. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, another one here. You are successful if you can get to zero water change system. That's not a definition of success. It's it, it's a weird flex, but it, but it's a flex that I've heard before. It, it, it's like this. This is for for some folks. They treat it like this is the pinnacle. Of, of reef husbandry that I got to a point where I don't have to do water changes anymore. Okay, you know what, I, basically of that that I got is I've got so much life in here that it sucks up all of the pollutants, not just nitrogen, but phosphorus, but like all the other garbage that comes into the tank one way or another, that it bioaccumulates in the mass, but I have so much like biomass from the coral in there that it could just suck up the garbage and it won't be a problem. Okay, so, and, then, and, and then you will like feed and put in trace and then bring yeah, it all back. I'm using the right trace element solution, I guess. But like, I guess. that's a like 100% a destination, right? It is not where a starting point because it's totally dependent on the enormous amount of biomass. Yeah, and I guess like, 
And but, but I, at the same time, I think it discounts just how nice things look when you do a water change. You know what also discounts for me is the insurance that a water change system does. So I talk about this all the time because it's so important that everybody hears it. If you do 10% weekly or the equivalent of, which is like 35% monthly, something in that neighborhood, if you do that, whatever pollutant you put in the tank will never be worse than it is uh, in two months. So if you put a stable amount of pollutants, it'll never get worse in two months. Then that means that you know, nitrate and phosphate will never lie, rise higher than it would after two months. So it'll just stabilize there as long as the food inputs the same. That means whatever you know, crap that comes in your two part and stuff, and you think that that's all like lab grade stuff, most of it is not. It has all kinds of, go, go look at our investigates copper and heavy metals and all kinds of garbage in there. Now, it's not so toxic that a single dose of it, man, the fish are going to jump out. It's not rat poison. But if you do no water changes, it's going to build up. And the only chance is it's going to bioaccumulate in the mass of the coral's tissue or it's just going to build up in the water level, right? Mm -hmm. It's not going to go away, you know? I, I liken a lot of like the, the things that I see on, on a lot of the, the zero water change type efforts. I almost liken it to a really exotic diet or something that you're trying to get to like extremely shredded look or something. And it's bizarre and and so it requires so much effort that just being like kind of like normal, like get to get good sleep, drink water, have a balanced diet and you'll be fine. that, that, That to me is like the water change, right? Just do the water, it's not even that difficult. You get all these benefits, or you could do this extremely like niche, uh, like cutting edge, crazy technique to avoid the super simple thing. You're right that it's a flex. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it doesn't mm. feel like, and I, I'll be honest, man. If I had a thriving tank that I wasn't doing water changes on it, mm-hmm. I'd be a little proud too. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it would feel like I created a balanced ecosystem. Right. But what it doesn't capture is two things. Okay. One behind the scenes, if you talk to them, because I've talked to many people that produce okay. these systems, is behind the scenes, if you actually ask them this question, they'll answer the answer honestly. These tanks are the products of attrition. A lot of corals didn't make it through this. Mm. The ones that you see are the ones that could live in this polluted environment. Mm, interesting. Right. So there's a bunch of stuff died in the way. You just don't see it. I could also see, uh, imagine a scenario where a zero water change system would make a ton of sense, but it's not a home hobbyist system in any way, shape or form. It'd be like a killer whale tank or something like that, mm. where it's like, oh, well, it's, it's hundreds of thousands, if not a million gallons uh, of, of salt water. And so... Yeah, we're not doing a water change. We're not doing 20% a month on that. Okay, you know what I'm going to go? I, I guess I, I, it is like a, it's a flex, but also it, it is like, it, I can't help but also kind of agree that it does kind of feel like you created this balanced ecosystem that doesn't mm-hmm. require this. Like, but the one but aren't part- aren't you the balance though? <sighs> yeah, this is the part though that I wish would happen, right? Because it's the flex, but then there's people looking to you for guidance. Mm-hmm. Right, And then I wish that you could say two things. One, that, yeah, I was able to achieve this, but this is a rare bird, right? And you better do it exactly the way I do it in every way, 
right? Because I am one of a hundred that tries it this way and is successful, which means you should have the exact same amount of fish I have. You should have the exact same amount of coral that I have. You should have the exact same amount of food, food input I have. Because if you mess up any of this, if this is truly the result of a perfect equal balance, any change in that equal balance no longer works anymore because it's yeah. unbalanced. And I hope you never go on vacation. Oh, yeah. So, and that's the other bit is like, you know, of all of these styles of tanks that don't do that, when they go south, nobody ever tells you. Yeah. You never come back to say, oh, yeah, remember all that stuff I told you? Didn't yeah, work. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Didn't work. No, just quietly goes into a poof of existence. And that bit about the attrition of corals, because some of these corals don't survive this environment of, you know, increasing pollutants. They're toxic and they just die. If I've seen some of the threads and I tested this theory, and so I went and looked at the, like the show, the pictures, mm -hmm. and you can count out the coral. And then if you look at the end game, like it's only really about 10% of the coral that was in there oh, originally. No. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff that's added to it, but like not all this stuff survived, man. This is just kind of the net result of attrition. Huh. Now, that's not true all the time. And there's probably 15 people out there raising their hand, like, no, 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 my tank wasn't that. And here's the bit, man, is. The most helpful thing that you could do is realize how rare of a bird you are, how cool it is that you created this thing. But also, if you give this guidance to other people and if they don't do it the exact way that you do it, and if you don't take the time to teach them the exact way you did it, you're teaching them to fail, encouraging them to fail. Yeah, because again, it's, it, it's not a, it's not an endpoint that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. No. Uh, uh, definitely, though, my biggest concern is if you only heard one thing in that conversation and you're a brand new reefer or somewhere in that neighborhood, is this is where somebody lands in five years. It is not where you start. So don't, don't like, just because somebody's saying that, don't do it. Don't start that way. That is a guaranteed failure. There's way easier ways to be successful early on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another one here is the latest hot trend is the greatest thing ever. That means actually that it's largely untested by default and there's no advantage to be in the first mover. Yeah, yeah. So a, a, a lot of cool new toys hit the market and some of them are, are super interesting, but uh, for a person like me, I, I've got like a pretty expansive system. So anytime that I try something new, it's actually asking like for a pretty big leap of faith, but it doesn't even take my level of, of system for that to be a big leap of faith. Like a lot of people's regular home aquariums are a substantial investment. And so a, a lot of new things, again, largely untested. And, and there, there might be some like really glamorous photos of some results and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I, I remember I, I tried a couple of different methodologies and some of it was like a bacterial based. So the idea and like all, kind of ultra low nutrient E type thing. And I was thinking, I'm just going to like just t dip my toe in this just to see because I'm seeing some like amazing like results that I think it would be really cool if I was able to replicate that at my place. And, but I'm just going to like start with like one one fifth or one tenth the, the dose. So here I am expecting nothing to change. OK, I just want to make sure that if I if I try this, hopefully like I, I don't notice anything. What immediately happened was a complete collapse of my systems and I lost like a third of my corals right. based on a one-tenth dose. Okay. That was when, 
on the BRS-160 when we decided that we were going to go bare bottom with it and we took the sand out. Uh-huh. That tank had never seen such a setback, man. And it took forever to get to the other side. And it wasn't just the corals like took a dump. Like it was Brapsis broke out then and then dinos broke out then. It was just one thing after another, mm-hmm. man, when we removed the sand. But like I wanted was so excited about this, you know, new no sand thing and getting nutrients out of the tank. Yeah. It was the most disruptive thing possible. Yeah. And and it comes from a place of trying to do better. Like that's the worst part about it. It's like I'm not trying to like do this to be worse. No, it's like I want to find ways to improve on what it is I've already done. But again, the, the, the new stuff. I didn't think about this way until you just said it, which is the nature of the fact that it's new means that it's largely untested. Yeah. And like, and, and like not at scale and not for long term. Right. Uh, and it hasn't been used in a wide variety of environments. It just worked over at Jerry's house. Maybe. I mean, I didn't even go to Jerry's house. I just saw pictures. Like, that's the worst part about it. Like, I saw an ad. Yeah, it's true, man. It's true. And, you know, like everybody, Jerry's just like the rest of us. He's proud of what he's done. He wants to share it, you know? Uh, So, yeah. All right, good news. Like always, there's more of uh, all this knowledge that our fans throwing down at us. And you can find it all right here in the special guest playlist of BRS TV.